Ladies and gentlemen, can one imagine visiting a friend mired in the midst of suffering who is erupting in agony at the misery that is his life at that moment and responding to that friend in need by attempting a philosophical explanation for why this has occurred? Thus the book of Job wishes for us to ask, what kind of friend is a leaf of us? Welcome to Bible 365, episode 245, The Book of Job and the Meaning of Friendship. I'm Mayor Soloveitchik. In his memoir, former Israeli chief rabbi Yisrael Meir Lau describes how, after liberation from Buchenwald, he and many other child survivors of the Holocaust were taken to France. He describes how, like other young ones with him, he had lost the ability to cry after his terrible hardening experience. Then, at one gathering, a series of speakers were presented to the children. He writes, quote, Rachel Mintz moderated the event in French, translating into Polish and Yiddish for the children. Each guest said a few words, then sat down on the bench in the center of the stage. Rachel Mintz introduced the last guest as a Jew who had survived Auschwitz, where he had lost his wife and children. He had owned a business in France before the war and so managed to survive and escape to his home country. Since the liberation, he had dedicated all his time, energy, and resources to war orphans. These are the only children he has left, Rachel explained. At that moment, without any advanced planning, 500 pairs of eyes lifted in a look of solidarity toward the Jew standing on the stage. He was one of us. We looked at him, and he saw hundreds of pairs of eyes fixed on him in a powerful gesture of empathy. Tears choked his throat. He gripped the microphone, and for several long seconds, the microphone broadcast only the sounds of his hands shaking. He tried to control himself, but managed to say only three words in Yiddish. Kinder tayere kinder. Children, dear children. Then he burst into tears. It was painful to hear this adult man weeping into the microphone, but he achieved a miracle. Along with him, our own cheeks also dampened with tears. We all considered it unmanly to cry, since after all we had survived the concentration camps. Yet each boy sitting on the grassy plaza stealthily wiped his eyes with his sleeve. We each stole a glance right and left and discovered that our comrades were breaking down as well. Then the dam broke. All at once, the lawn of Equi was transformed into a literal veil of tears. The Jewish guest took a seat on the platform, and we all cried, healthy, liberating tears. End quote. The feeling that someone feels with you, communes with you, cries with you, can have a powerful effect. And it is pondering the power of empathy and communion that the book of Job ultimately asked of us. Everyone knows that the book of Job, or in Hebrew, Eov, centers on a man who undergoes terrible loss and suffering and ponders why God has allowed these disasters to occur. But is this the only theme? Let us look for today at the opening chapters of the story. We are told of a man named Job, Eov, who lived in Utz, whose precise time period is not given. Many suggestions about the setting of Eov are put forward in the Talmud. And Maimonides, in his Guide for the Perplex, suggests that the book is an allegory, though this is the one opinion that the Talmud itself rejects. Job is prosperous and righteous, blessed with children and wealth. Chapter 1, verse 4. And his sons went and feasted in their houses, every one his day, and sent and called for their three sisters to eat and to drink with them. And it was so, when the days of their feasting were gone about, that Job sent and sanctified them, and rose up early in the morning, and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus did Job continually. We are thus informed that Job offers sacrifices constantly on behalf of his sons in case they may have sinned. 
Why does Job think his sons might have leveled curses at the divine in their hearts? The text does not tell us, and perhaps we will return to this question in later lectures. For now, we continue with the famous opening scene. Now there was a day when the spiritual beings came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. And the Lord said unto Satan, Whence comest thou? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth, and from walking up and down in it. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Doth Job fear God for naught? Hast thou not made a hedge about him, and about his house, and about all that he hath on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands, and his substance is increased in the land. But put forth thine hand now, and touch all that he hath, and he will curse thee to thy face. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, all that he hath is in thy power. Only upon himself put not forth thine hand. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. Who Satan is will be left for our discussion tomorrow. What follows are calamities. All of Job's children are killed. But Job says nothing other than a sentence that appears in a verse now famous. Then Job arose and rent his mantle and shaved his head and fell down upon the ground and worshipped and said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Satan returns to God and insists that if Job undergoes physical afflictions, then he will react differently. Chapter 2, verse 5. Satan says to God, But put forth thine hand now and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse thee to thy face. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, he is in thine hand, but save his life. So went Satan forth from the presence of the Lord and smote Job with sore boils from the sole of his foot unto his crown. And he took him a pot's hurt to scrape himself with, and he sat down among the ashes. At this moment, Job's wife urges her husband to level curses at God, but Job refuses. It is here that other main characters of the book are introduced. This story is named for Job, but the book will largely center on his conversation with three friends, or indeed his debates with them, until a fourth individual ultimately turn up to castigate the first three. Now when Job's three friends heard of all this evil that was come upon him, they came everyone from his own place, Eliphaz the Temanite, and Bildad the Shuhite, and so far the Namathite, for they had made an appointment together to come to mourn with him and to comfort him. At this point we must take note of a comment made by Rabbi Joseph Soloveitchik. Here we are informed that Job has friends, but Job as we saw at the opening of the book, constantly brought sacrifices for his family, for his sons, seeking divine benevolence for them, while not once are we informed that he prayed for his friends. Indeed, until Eliphaz, Bildad, and Sofar turn up, we are utterly unaware that he has friends. They have not been part of his prayers, which should lead us to ask, what exactly is the nature of this friendship? The story continues, describing how, before the friends are actually with Job, they are so struck from afar by his physical disfigurement, that they weep. And when they lifted up their eyes afar off and knew him not, they lifted up their voice and wept, and they rent every one his mantle and sprinkled dust upon their heads toward heaven. And yet, as we continue, when they are actually with Job, we do not see a description of a single tear. So they sat down with him upon the ground seven days and seven nights, and none spoke a word unto him, for they saw that his grief was very great. After this opened Job his mouth and cursed his day. Let the day perish wherein I was born, and the night in which it was said, There is a male child conceived. Let that day be darkness, let not God regard it from above, neither let the light shine upon it. This is the first eruption of Job. It does not say in the verse that Job leveled curses toward God, 
as his wife urged him to do, but rather that Job cursed the day on which he was born. The extent to which Job crosses a line in what he says about God throughout the next many chapters is a question that we will consider. But for now we must ask, what causes this eruption in the first place? Here it is easy to miss something significant, something noted by Rabbi Yaakov Maidan in his wonderful book on Job. When we study the original part of the story, we see that it was not the original loss nor the physical affliction that brought about Job's cursing the day on which he was born. Rather, it was his friends sitting there for seven days and saying nothing that brought about the eruption. It is true that for Jewish tradition, the moments and manner in which one speaks to a mourner must be carefully chosen. But it is clear that Job senses that his friends do not truly feel with him his emotional state in the midst of the terrible events that have befallen him. Indeed, after Job curses the day on which he was born, then his friends begin to speak. Of course, Job's friends cannot fully feel what Job is feeling. They have not gone through his suffering. But what is shocking about the story of Job is that after Job erupts, his friends do not in any way show their empathy. Instead, what they do is engage in philosophical speculation about why all this has befallen him. In chapter 5, Eliphaz responds to Job. Then Eliphaz the Temanite answered and said, If we attempt to speak with thee, wilt thou be grieved? But who can withhold himself from speaking? Then, in verse 7, he engages in philosophy. Remember, I pray thee, whoever perished being innocent, or where were the righteous cut off? Even as I have seen they that plow iniquity and sow wickedness reap the same. By the blast of God they perish, and by the breath of his nostrils are they consumed. Thus Eliphaz responds, according to Rabbi Yaakov Medan, by giving a philosophical explanation for why these terrible events have come upon Job. All human beings, Eliphaz argues, are fallible. All are sinners, and all must pay the price. That, Eliphaz says to Job, is why you suffer. So Eliphaz says, Ladies and gentlemen, can one imagine visiting a friend, mired in the midst of suffering, who is erupting in agony at the misery that is his life at that moment, and responding to that friend in need by attempting a philosophical explanation for why this has occurred? Thus the book of Job wishes for us to ask, what kind of friend is Eliphaz? The philosophical failings of Eliphaz, what theological mistakes he may make in his arguments, can be discussed in due course. But it is his very attempt at philosophy here that is so misguided. And it is here that we must understand what the book of Job is about. The story is largely thought of as centering on a relationship between Job and God and the questions Job asks about God to God. And while, as we will see, this certainly is a theme, The book is also about what friendship is, about what fellowship should be, about what we owe those we care about when they are in pain. And we must bear this in mind as we read this book, for this story can hopefully inspire us to be better friends by reminding us not to imitate Job's friends. We are called, in other words, in studying the book of Job to orient our understanding of what fellowship is with another actually is. Rabbi Lau's story of the moment of empathy shared between the hundreds of young children and the father who has lost everything is a powerful one, reminding us of what empathy actually can be. The friends of Job are not, of course, in the same situation. They have not gone through the same suffering as Job, but they still ought to have sought to commune with him rather than seeking to explain to him. In his book, The Rabbi of Buchenwald, Raphael Medoff describes the chaplain in Patton's Third Army, Rabbi Herschel Schachter, entering a liberated Buchenwald after Pesach, after Passover. 
Several days after his arrival, in a series of services, Rabbi Shachter distributed matzah to the former concentration camp prisoners. The matzah was greeted reverently by many of the survivors, but not everyone reacted with reverence. As Medoff writes, while speaking to the survivors, Rabbi Shachter used the phrase, we know what you have gone through, which provoked one survivor to scream at Rabbi Shachter. And I cite here the account as written by Medoff, who explains the Hebrew words that were used. The survivor said, quote, No one but no one can say that he knows what we went through unless he or she was there. Only they can say, I know what you went through. Before we make a blessing and eat this matzah, we want a din Torah with a Rabboni Shalom, a hearing before God. Why? Why the little children? Why so many thousands of true dedicated Talmidei Chachamim, Torah scholars, that were sitting and learning Yomam Valayla day and night? You can take your matzahs back to America. I don't want them. End quote. So the survivor exclaimed at Rabbi Shachter. And I cite a witness's recollection of the inspiring way in which Rabbi Shachter responded, as recounted by Medoff. Quote, he, meaning Rabbi Shachter, moved his fists toward his heart in the gesture of atonement used in the Yom Kippur liturgy and said, Chatasi avisi pashati lefanecha. I have sinned and transgressed and violated before you. Please, may I have your forgiveness. The man raced up to the rabbi and embraced him for a while. The rest of us just stood there in silence and our tears did the talking. End quote. So another survivor remembered how this American rabbi stood, asked for forgiveness, and embraced his fellow survivor as everyone wept. Rabbi Schachter would go on to stay in Buchenwald, ministering to the survivors, making manifest a feeling of communion, of existential togetherness with them, and he would be remembered by them for this for the rest of their lives. There are many more chapters in the complex book of Job that we will still see, but for now, as we start the story, it is the power of true communion and fellowship that the book of Job asks us to understand. This is Mayor Salavechik, looking forward to learning together tomorrow, signing off.